Hello again and welcome to this series on the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. My name is Mario and we pick up our story today on that curious encounter between Abraham and Melchizedek. If you are just joining the discussion, I invite you to start listening from episode one so that you can get a better understanding of where we are in this amazing story. You should have access to it on your favorite podcast app or you can visit mariosministries.com where we'll have other resources that may enhance your study and understanding of scripture and how to live your faith. If you like the series, please subscribe to it. That helps promote it. At mariosministries.com, you can subscribe to our email list to get the latest on the podcast and other projects we are working on. So please be sure to check that out and tell others about it. Well, without further ado, let's dive into The God of Abraham, Part 2. Abram just had an incredible victory. His beloved nephew Lot and his family were captured in the war between Sodom and other neighboring kingdoms. And when Abraham heard of the news, he assembled an army of his own and he rescued them along with their possessions. On his victorious journey back, he is greeted by the king of Sodom and by, quote, a priest of God Most High, Melchizedek. We briefly considered last time Melchizedek's independent revelation and relationship with God. It is one of those mysteries in scripture that reminds us of the awesomeness of God. Our Father's all-encompassing work is difficult for us to comprehend, but we can certainly stand in awe of His majesty. I think of Psalm 33:5, telling us, The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Full. Think of that. Do you look around and see that? Our eyes must be open to this. I think of the resurrected Jesus speaking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's Luke 24, 27. I long to hear about that conversation when I meet the Master in heaven. The details are not recorded in Scripture, but we know it happened. In that same awe-inspiring way, Jesus will be identified by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. We do not have the time to go into all that this entails, but we get a sense of the importance of this mysterious priest of God that we are getting to know right here in Genesis. Abram certainly recognizes holy authority, for he gives him a tenth of all that he had attained. This passage will help shape the Christian practice of tithing to the Lord from all that we have, if you ever wondered about where that practice comes from. The king of Sodom welcomes all the people of his city back and wants Abraham to keep all the material goods he got during the rescue. But Abraham surprisingly refuses, saying, quote, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap of anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. 
I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. That's Genesis 14, 22 to 24. I think we get a glimpse of Abraham's relationship to God here. Know that he lifted his hand to him, which implies some sort of oath and a continuing communication between God and Abraham beyond those specifically recorded in Scripture. Abraham seems to be following through in his reliance on God. He does not take ownership of this great victory. Instead, he jealously protects the name of the Lord, seeking that no man take away from his glory, that is God's glory. In Abraham's estimate, there is only one who can say he is responsible for Abraham's prosperity, and that is God. He does not want to compromise that. Isn't that amazing? Following his encounter with Melchizedek, Abraham has a vision. In it, God tells him, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. At Genesis 15.1 Let us not lose sight of the simple fact then that the God of Abraham speaks through visions. We should not discard those in our lives. Abraham responded to God saying, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. That's Genesis 15:2. Again, do you see what is happening here? Is this not encouraging to you to see how Abraham speaks freely before God from his heart? Can you not identify? He's been faithful. He's waited on the promise, but he doesn't see how this is supposed to happen. With every passing year, Sarai and Abraham get older, and there's still no offspring. How is God continuing to speak of this great nation and blessing that will come through him? I mean, we can all understand Abraham. Now, settle up, because God's answer is just like God. This is how we get to know him, by listening to him, by seeing how he interacts with Abraham. We need to learn to read the scriptures with full hearts and minds. Listen to what God tells Abraham, starting in verse 5 of chapter 15. God brings him outside and says to him, Look toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he says to him, So shall your offspring be. Can you believe this loving God? This is not much different than what he said before. But God is patient with Abraham and he takes him by the hand, if you will, outside as a child to see this star and look at this amazing scene and stand in awe of the creator. This is the creator of all who put the stars there in the first place. When we consider that, that he spoke and created out of nothing. Only then you begin to realign your mind to the heavenly perspective and you know that this is a God that is all-powerful and he is for you. He's telling you something, giving you a promise. I actually love doing this with my sons and daughters. I tell them that we move to the house we live right now because I wanted them to see the majesty of God's glory in the starry host above. 
The God of Abraham's loving kindness is in full display here. He is our father and he is near us. And what did Abraham do after hearing that lovely but familiar answer? He believed the Lord, verse 6 tells us, and it was counted to him as righteousness. As we mentioned last time, this will be Abraham's enduring legacy that he believed God. Let's make that our legacy too. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Here we get to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a bit more. He consistently reminds us of what he has done because, of course, we tend to forget. We are so short-sighted. We forget what he has done, where we've come from, and what he has planned for us. He'll continue to remind the Israelites later on in a similar way, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, if you remember that story. And in our lives, we can always look back and see the Lord's hand as to where he's brought us out of. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Carolina, Puerto Rico, in my case. Lots of stories there of God's unwavering, sustaining love and mercy, patient with me. It's one of my favorite things to hear other believers tell me of their exodus, their life story, where God brought them out of. If I ever meet you, please tell me that story. It is just such a blessing to me. Back to the story. Abraham responds, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? This request does not strike as doubting. We just heard scripture tells us that Abraham believed God and he was counted to him as righteousness. So this is not doubting here. It seems more like an ask for help in seeing more clearly. He seems to be asking for a sign and God will respond with a familiar one. God tells him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a pigeon. It's interesting, God doesn't specifically tell him what to do with them, but it seems Abraham knows these are for a sacrifice. It might be that the instructions were given and simply not recorded, but it is not hard to imagine also that Abraham is just well-versed on this practice. Abraham got them, cut them in half, put them over against each other, and waited on the Lord. The text actually shows us another sign of Abraham's devotion to the Lord. It tells us in verse 11 that when the birds came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Abraham's worship is similar to Abel's in that sense, who gave the best that he had to the Lord. Here Abraham wants to jealously guard his offering to the Lord. There's something for us to learn there. I fear sometimes we lose sight of just who is it that we are dealing with when we approach the great I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the creator of the universe. He's the Holy One, and we are not. We are sinners. C.S. Lewis tried to get at this idea on his Chronicles of Narnia. Most of you have read the books or seen the movies. In, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver is telling the children about Aslan, who is a sort of 
Christ-like figure that is represented by this great lion in the books. And Susan, the youngest of the children, is a bit afraid about meeting the lion, and she says, Oh, is he quite safe? she asks. I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, to which uh, Mr. Beaver responds, I love it. It's, he said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he is good. Amen. May his name be forever praised. Listener, our God is good. He's patient. He's loving and kind. He's empathetic, compassionate, and meek. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, says Psalm 103.8. But He is not like you and me. He is holy. He calls us friends, says John 15.15, but it is out of His marvelous grace that He does that, not because we deserve such an honor. He deserves our thanksgiving and praise. He deserves our reverence. Do not buy into the dreadful modern idea of a small G-God who's just your body hanging out with you, chilling. This is not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a man-made non-God that will fail you each and every time because it is not real. The God who we are getting to know here is the sort of God you go out of your way to give your best Abraham wouldn't dare present an unworthy sacrifice to the Lord. So he fights off the birds trying to ruin it. And you will have to fight your own sort of birds that will try to come and prey on your spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And when that time comes, remember he is worthy. He deserves your attention and all your effort to bring the best sacrifice to him. The text tells us that Abraham fell into a deep sleep and then, quote, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That's verse 12. There's certainly much to think about this, but for now, let us know the magnificence of God's presence. Here is Aslan. It is dreadful in the sense of where we stand in relationship to him. This is one of the reasons why we need Jesus. Praise God. It is through him we are able to bridge that gap and stand before the Father. God speaks to Abraham then while he experienced that dreadful darkness and he says to him, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That's Genesis 15, 13 to 16. So here is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob opening up for us again. This too is part of his promise. It is not all bliss. A great nation and a new land, yes. But hardship is also predicted. There is no misleading in God. There is only truth. Life is hard. 
You and I know that. And the scriptures reflect that fully without sugarcoating it. Abraham's seed is a persecuted seed, said one commentator. And Jesus said to us, in this world you will have trouble. Remember John 16:33? But take heart. I have overcome the world. Trouble is a fact for the Christian life. But so is the victory. That's where our hope comes when we are facing trials. We will persevere. There is no question about that. We will endure. The enemy will not have his way with us. Abraham's seed is promised an exodus. They will face hardship, but they will come out of that hardship. And if we have learned anything about the God of Abraham, is that his word, his word is sure. As he speaks, it will happen. And there is nothing, nothing that can stand in his way. That's Romans 8, isn't it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are all troubles, you see. But the love of God, which guarantees the victory, will see us through. Therefore, Paul continues, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Let us finish this episode here by saying that in that darkness that Abraham found himself, a flaming torch passed between the animals that he had laid out. And with that sign, God sealed a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. The God of Abraham has spoken, and as he says, so it shall be. See you next time. My trusting God who alone knows my makeup The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob